Imagine an appeal to believers on the Lord Jesus Christ to remain loyal to what they've been taught and to stay in the place of service and worship into which the Holy Spirit has led them, a place fully agreeing with the New Testament record of the Apostles' teaching, of course. An appeal exactly like that is found in one of the Bible letters belonging to the New Testament. It's the letter to the Hebrews. But why should these early Jewish Christians even consider leaving behind the local Christian church fellowships, which are referred to so many times on the pages of the New Testament as the Church of God at some place or other, for example at Corinth? Why should they want to leave them? Well, returning to their roots in Judaism must have seemed like an attractive proposition to those who were under extreme persecution. But, attractive as it might have been, the cost was also great. For to fall away from the early Christian community with its new covenant way of service was to turn their back on Jesus as being the Messiah and it would also mean rejecting the apostles' teaching. This then was the choice facing them. Either to fall away from their distinctively Christian service and return to mainstream Judaism or to stay loyal to the separated New Testament community of churches of God. And the appeal to stay also contain warnings about leaving. In fact, the letter to the Hebrews contains five major warnings. Warnings about the consequences of falling away from the New Testament expression of Christianity and returning to Judaism. And today, we'll be considering the third of those warnings. And if I may remind you, these warnings centre around a very distinctive disclosure which the Holy Spirit makes to these Christians whose loyalty to the Apostles' teaching was being tested to breaking point. The Holy Spirit discloses, for the first and only time on the pages of Scripture, an absolutely breathtaking revelation, one that's seemingly calculated to present the highest possible appeal to them not to fall away from service in churches of God. But more on that later. You see, chapter 5 of Hebrews begins by talking about the Lord Jesus Christ in his role and office as high priest. This is a major theme of this letter, and it's only here that we find direct teaching about the ministry of the Lord Jesus as high priest today. One reason, by the way, why this is probably the greatest teaching letter in our Bibles. Teaching about Jesus as high priest is precious teaching, and it's teaching which draws upon the imagery of the Old Testament. As a result, it demands some familiarity with the service of God in Israel back then. So perhaps, for that reason, this Bible letter doesn't seem as popular as others. But I want to urge you to get into Hebrews, for there's really good news for believers here. It's not easy, as we say, but studying Hebrews will richly repay the effort that you make. Even for Jewish Christians, familiar with the old way of serving God, it wasn't always easy to grasp these things. For the writer says in chapter 5, Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Let's ask the Lord to take away our dullness in hearing as we come to its pages. 
You see, that part of the warning could easily apply to a lot of us today. Perhaps there's a tendency to want to paddle in the shallows instead of letting the Holy Spirit guide us out into the deeper teaching of God's Word. If, 2,000 years after the time when this letter was written, we are to truly value the good news for believers that's found in the original mould of Christianity, then we'll also need to come to a mature appreciation of Jesus as High Priest. In fact, the writer says exactly that at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 6. He says, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. This is a timely warning, now as well as then. While serving as a community of Christians, there are, as this chapter calls them, things that accompany salvation. Things connected with an understanding of the priesthood of the Lord Jesus and his current service in heaven on behalf of believers on earth whose gatherings are in accordance with what the Bible teaches. There's an attitude which says, salvation is the only important thing. Speak about the Saviour and let's see people saved. That's excellent, as far as it goes. But what about those things which God's designed and which the Holy Spirit describes here as things which accompany salvation? If we take this warning seriously, and it's the third in Hebrews, we'll allow the Holy Spirit to teach us what knowing Jesus as High Priest should mean for our collective Christian worship. Certainly, the Father wants us to be his worshippers once we're saved from sin's penalty. The writer says he wanted his readers to realise the full assurance of hope until the end. Now what does that mean? In warning them against falling away from a worshipping Christian community, one that's faithfully following the New Testament pattern, he encourages them instead to be fully assured of the hope that was central to their service, a hope bound up with Jesus in his role as high priest. It was a case of either falling away or being fully assured. If they were fully assured, they wouldn't fall away. Remember, falling away is not from a salvation which is all of God's grace. How could that be? It could never be. Quite impossible. In the historical context of this letter, the falling away was from a place of active service in the New Testament churches if any of these Hebrew Christians should decide to go back to the old way of serving God within Judaism. So as to be fully assured and not to fall away, these Hebrews were encouraged to take hold of the hope that was set before them like those who'd previously shown patience under trial. The classic example being Abraham, who held by faith to the hope that was promised to him. We read, When God made promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things, that's the promise and the oath, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement 
we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us. The promised blessing of Abraham, assured by God's oath, had come to them as it has come down the years to us too as believers in Jesus Christ. We are included as heirs of the promise. But what's this hope set before us which we've to lay hold of? Is it the hope of the Lord's coming? Or the hope of an inheritance reserved in heaven for us? No. Let the writer explain. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The writer has drawn their attention, and ours too, to the long-promised blessing that was to be given through Abraham. God's now fulfilled his promise in Jesus Christ. He's not only a living saviour, but he's a priestly intercessor. In resurrection, Jesus has entered through the veil into God's very presence in heaven so that he might bring a worshipping people in there too. But if we don't lay hold on that hope, there's the very real danger of coming short of realising this in our experience. This is another mention of the same hope we've been introduced to before in the letter to the Hebrews. Do you remember? Hebrews 3 verse 6, Christ is faithful as son over God's house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. If some can fall away from God's house on earth, then it stands to reason that the house of God and the body of Christ are not the same. It further follows that the house of God is not every living Christian. The privilege of having a place in the house of God belongs to the category of things which accompany salvation. If we don't distinguish what's meant by the house of God from the body of Christ, the body of all believers, then falling away can only be from one's salvation. But since that cannot be, then the house of God was ever only those who hold fast to the apostles' teaching, which is, remember, exactly what these Hebrews were being urged to do, to hold fast to the apostles' teaching. So the appeal to these early Hebrew Christians was to hold fast to this hope which the end of Hebrews chapter 6 has explained. We might ask, Who would want to forfeit their place in a biblical church of God if, on the basis of God's clear word, this hope of entering into the actual holy of holies in heaven was theirs? This is certainly the thrilling disclosure which shows how much better the new way of service is. What about you? Have you seen this revelation? This hope of entering the immediate presence of God is not about God coming to be with us down here. But what's disclosed is that the biblically defined people of God, in some spiritual sense, enter the place in heaven which corresponds to the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle or temple copies which were seen on earth long ago. And it's a present experience in our collective service for those who are holding fast. I must say, I find it hard not to say, wow.